a well-known verse to many of us, and one of the most inspiring and affirming. This thing about God's love. And I suppose when I get discouraged, and maybe I look around at the world in which we live, and I may be discouraged, John comes with these words to cut off that discouragement that God loves the world and he wants to save the world. And this, in my mind and I think in our imaginations, this produces an image of a journey. It is a journey that we are on together and it is a journey that is on offer to the rest of the world. This drawing in to the love of God, this incessant invitation by Jesus Christ into the love of His Spirit. John has this way of describing who Jesus is. He has a way of describing when Jesus is. When is Jesus? Some ways of thinking, we think, well, Jesus is, is the answer. He's the solution to sin in the world. And so God introduces Jesus to solve that problem. And actually, Jesus is much bigger than that. Jesus, John tells us, exists in the way back. In the way back, before creation, before his manhood on earth, before his trial and ministry, before his death and resurrection and ascension, he is with God. He's in existence. And so Jesus, the win, is always and forever. The next question we may have is the what of Jesus. What is Jesus? If Jesus is in and through time and outside of time and before the beginning of time and, and after the end of time, then what is Jesus? John has this way of answering that question. It's a very clever way. It's a very creative way. And what he does is he recounts seven miracles, seven acts that Jesus commits in his ministry. Seven signs, we may call them. The Old Testament is full of this reference to signs and wonders. Who's heard that reference before? Signs and wonders. All throughout the story of the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is intent on demonstrating signs and wonders. We may call these miracles. They are miraculous things. There's a story in Joshua how the day holds, the sun stops in its progress through the sky. 
so that the battle can be won. That is a sign and wonder. Moses spreads the seas so that the Israelites can pass. That is a sign and wonder. And in the New Testament, Jesus is about the same kind of thing. First, in the book of John, first sign, turns water into wine. That is an excellent place to start, is it not? Is it not the best place to start? If you're going to hang your ministry on a miracle, it is going to be producing endless, and the Scripture tells us, high-quality wine. High-quality, that's important, people. High-quality wine for a big wedding. Second, he, he starts healing. He heals a royal official's son. Now, with these first two and the rest that I'm going to describe, there's something really important that happens. Does Jesus go away and do these completely in private? Does he shut the door and, and come away with, with this miracle that he's going to do and just say every, to everybody, you, you just stay out, you don't want to see this. I'm going to do this in private and we'll keep it a secret. Is that what happens? No. Jesus begins doing these miracles in a very public way. And I think, I think that is intentional. Jesus heals the royal official's son, and it says, the people believe. He heals, and then the people believe. He goes and heals a paralytic. He demonstrates his authority. So he's demonstrated in public that he can and will do these things. He heals the paralytic to say, this is my judgment. This is the Father's judgment. You know, we often think of judgment. Oh, gosh. Let's talk about judgment. <laughs> and we're all like, let's not, shall we? Because there's a lot of baggage when we talk about judgment. There's a lot of thinking, well, there's this time and this place and, and everybody's going to be held to account and, and gosh, who knows if we're going to make the cut. Let me just say it doesn't work that way and Jesus describes how it works. Jesus judges with his love. And he doesn't wait for some end time. He doesn't wait for some apocalyptic moment. There was a video going around. There was a, a very popular video going around the States in the 1980s, and it was about, um, it was about the apocalypse. It was about the end times. And it pulled very heavily on those scriptures where, you know, it says a person would be left uh, one, 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 one woman be working and another one be taken. They called it the rapture. That was the terminology. for. There was a video about this, and it, it, it instilled this real fear, this anxiety, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be raptured at any moment, and I don't even know what's going to happen or what, you know. Jesus wants to work against that fear. He wants to say, 
I am here to judge. I am here to judge the world, right? But he begins now. He has begun already judging with his love. If you notice, when he heals in the New Testament, it's not just that he restores life. It's not just that he restores health. He oftentimes simultaneously forgives sin. Why is that? Because you can't judge somebody in love without at once healing them and at the same time removing their sin. That's really important. Jesus demonstrates his power and his authority. He then feeds the 5,000. This is one of my favorite. I love this. I love this. He goes with his disciples, right? And he's been teaching and preaching. And all these people have begun following him. And the disciples are like, all right, Jesus, come on. It's time for dinner. You know, it's time for dinner. Send them away. They can go buy their own food. And Jesus says, you feed them. You do it. And they do. They don't even know how it's happening. They're not even sure of what's going on. They don't even understand the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. They don't understand how this is happening, and yet they are involved. Jesus chooses them and uses them in spite of their ignorance. It's happened to one or you, too, as well. I've seen it. It's happened to me. People see and they believe. Go and check these miracles for yourself. It's in the book of John. Don't take my word for it. Jesus walks on water. People are beginning to see. People are beginning to believe in these miracles. People are beginning to at least feel out questions about Jesus' authority. And then Jesus walks on water. One of the miracles that is most difficult to understand, I think. Why would you want to walk on water if you are Jesus Christ? Anyone, I'm throwing it out there. Why would you want to walk on water? To do the impossible, yes. And why would you want to do the impossible? Yes, yes. You want to prove that Jesus is doing this. When you demonstrate, when Jesus demonstrates these supernatural events, he normalizes the experience. What do I mean by that? He creates a common everyday expectation that God will act in and through our lives in this way. Dispelling the notion that God is just an intellectual prospect, that God is some kind of idea bound up in a book only, 
he normalizes the understanding of the divine as inspired by the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ. As if to say, more of these things will happen. More people will believe. More people will come to faith. Jesus heals a blind man so that people can see what he's doing. He does it publicly. Jesus raises Lazarus. Poor guy. Has to, not that he's raised. Um, that's good news. But Jesus makes him wait. If you go back and read the story, Lazarus has to wait to be raised from the dead because Jesus wants to prove a point. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> but he wants to prove a point in public, in front of everyone's eyes, so that people will see and believe. Are you sensing a trend here? John says, Jesus does signs. He does signs so that you will believe. The signs are for us. And the signs are for everyone out there. So that people will believe. Why? That in believing they would have life and have it to the full. And that's how judgment works. Jesus comes into lives not in some distant eschaton, not in some distant resurrection. He comes into lives today so that people may have full lives now. I worked with Patrick for about four years. Patrick was a young man, about 20, had been in and out of prison for minor crimes, drug possession here, aggravated assault there, and really deep down, Patrick was quite a lovable guy. But he had watched his sister jump out of a 20-story building after she'd been assaulted several times by his friends. And I can only imagine that at a certain point, Patrick disconnected from the world that he thought he knew. Maybe from the world that he thought wasn't for him. And so while he had a lovely smile and a jovial way about him, Patrick was not invested in his own life or the lives of others. I spent a lot of time with Patrick, as did several other people in my last church. And Patrick was the last one we ever thought would believe. He had an answer for everything. Bright, skeptical, needing evidence. And do you know what? 
I don't think I was ever in a conversation with Patrick that I won that argument. I don't think I ever won an argument with Patrick. He was always able to argue his way around me. And I wound up giving up in the end on the argument. But we never gave up on Patrick. And Patrick would come in time and again. And I think, why is Patrick here? Why is he coming to this cafe and church where we pray with and for people? But you see, I think Patrick was looking for something. What he could see in the room, I guess, was the love of Jesus Christ. The fact that everyone was welcome, no matter how broken they were. The fact that everyone was offered food and drink at no price. The fact that everyone was told that Jesus loved them. And everyone was offered prayer. And so it was with some surprise that one Sunday, Catherine, Ka Patrick came up to me after the service and he said, you'll never believe what happened to me. And he had this stunned look on his face. And I thought, gosh, I didn't think my preach was that bad. <laughs> uh, and he said... I wasn't even hearing the words. But he said, I looked up, and, and in, the, in our old church, they had these angels that were, that were embossed in the ceiling, just the faces of angels looking down. And it's something I'd never noticed before. I couldn't, couldn't have told you what they looked like. And he said, I looked up. I think it was during worship. I looked up. We were worshiping. I looked up, he said, and this angel looked at me. He said, she looked at me. Her eyes turned to me as if to say, what now? And he said, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know what's happening in this church. I feel deeply uncomfortable about all of this stuff churning around inside. I know I'm broken. I know I'm lost. I've got a court date in a week. I'm on the verge of being homeless. But I think I believe now. And I'll never forget that beautiful moment where we were with Patrick after the service and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. It wasn't a huge dramatic affair. There weren't balloons that suddenly were released into the sky. But he said, I think I need to ask God for forgiveness for the things that I've done. And tears, tears came streaming down. And in one powerful movement of the Holy Spirit, he was changed. Not in a way that I could have changed him, not in a way that a government program could have changed him or a charity or the best intentions of anybody in the world. He was changed in a way that only Jesus Christ could change him, beginning with a sign and wonder that only Patrick saw. Because I guess Jesus loved him that much.
our mission is to help bring people to faith. I believe that deeply. I believe that in the bottom of my heart. I believe it is the thing that church is made of. This is a hospital, as some of you have put so eloquently. This is a hospital. This is a triage where people come in from battles of life. Now, we don't have all the solutions in us. I don't have a quick fix list of recipes that says, ah, yes, relationship problems, chapter two. Let's do this checklist. Addiction problems, yes, that's chapter five. We'll go through this list together. I don't have those solutions. I can't fix people. But I know who can. And I have seen him do it time and again. Drug dealers, addicts, homeless, lovely, normal, middle-class people like us, like me. Sometimes who are the most broken of all. Sometimes who need Jesus the most. Jesus has a sign and a wonder in store for your life. What is that thing in your life at the moment that you think is insurpassable, that you think God cannot conquer, that you think you need to solve in your own power? God has a sign and wonder in store for you. God also wants to see you witness you seeing somebody else experience a sign and wonder. It builds faith when you witness that. When you witness your prayer come alive in someone else. Guys, we need to get praying. We have got to get praying. couple tips I want to leave with you today. We're going to be doing more of this. We've, we've got ministries that are focused on prayer that look like other things, but they're really focused on prayer and they're really focused on people coming to faith. Will you join me in the next few months? I have a challenge for you. Pray for somebody to come to faith. When I say those words, each of you will know in your own life who that person is. You will know who that person is because the Holy Spirit's telling you right now. Pray for that person to come to faith. Pray every day. Pray when you want to and pray when you don't want to. And keep praying for that person to come to faith. I call this person Disciple Zero. Disciple zero. You know, we talk about pandemic, back to the early days. We were looking for one person called patient zero, weren't we? Patient zero was the person who was going to be unknown and unidentified, but somehow they were the magic person who was responsible for starting the initial spread, right? Patient zero. 
<clears throat> healthcare people are always looking for patient zero, or at least looking for the effects of patient zero. Disciple zero is that person who may never be known in the grand scheme of Christianity. They may never be an Apostle Paul or a Peter or a Barnabas. But they will be that person whom God has chosen to spread faith, to practice healing, to demonstrate signs and wonders in the name of Jesus Christ so that others may come to faith. Disciple zero is the starting point. When you pray for that disciple zero in your life, that person whom you know, that may be the very person that Jesus Christ wants to use to start a revolution. Everybody knows Billy Graham. Very few people know the man who took Billy Graham to his first church service by hook and by crook when Billy Graham was too busy partying and having a good time and didn't want to go. And this young man said, come with me, I insist. That disciple zero is crucial for our ministry. Pray for disciple zero. Pray daily, when you want to and when you don't want to. And the second thing is this, expect signs and wonders. Expect a demonstration of Jesus Christ in your life and in the world out there. Expect it to be public because he wants to bring people to faith. Believe in the impossible because amazing, miraculous things still happen. The witness and ministry of Jesus Christ has not stopped. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that the Great Commission continues with us, that we are vested with the power of the Holy Spirit for that purpose to help bring people into the kingdom of God. That's all I got to say. Amen.